season two of our podcast. If you are a new listener, we are a husband-wife duo, hence we're the Barclays. And this is our podcast where we share our radically optimistic takes on culture and politics informed by our Christian faith. That, folks, was our new tagline. Yes. Uh, Workshopped through season one. Tell us what you think about it. Yes. And I guess we could be siblings. We for could the show be. like we're the Barclays. That's true. But we're not siblings. We're not siblings. Let the records show. Actually, the rest of this show will make it would be weird if we were siblings. <laughs> oh gosh. Because our topic today is disability pregnancy. Our well, mainly your disability pregnancy. That's true. Well, no, it's ours. I mean, I shouldered most of the burden, but yes. You were up. a great support and Thank you. had to <laughs> support the family while I was often really tired and really nauseous. And well, Praise to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Rachel you. did a great, great, great job being pregnant. So we want to talk about, uh, I don't know, there's not very many disabled people are pregnant. Um, well, no, I think it's just, you know, a smaller population of young women who are disabled um so spinal cord injury specifically i guess so Ah, spinal cord injuries are disproportionately men i think like 70 percent something around there Hmm. of spinal cord injuries are um from men i think men do riskier things like motorcycles and jumping Uh, off things and whatnot Uh, car accidents from fast driving, that kind of thing. Um, so they're just fewer young women with spinal cord injuries. So it's like a tiny population disabled subset of that population spinal cord injury, subset of that population spinal cord injured women, and then subset of that <laughs> women of age to give birth. Exactly. So and then who can even like support kids too, right? Because it's very expensive to be disabled. Yes. Is that what you mean? Financially? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, social structures and. Right. Right. Like family Um, support. I think more stats at you. I was trying to remember. It's either 26 or 28 percent more expensive to be disabled than it is to be able-bodied. So it's just. Without kids. Just period. Just period. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Just the the medical costs, the cost of equipment, um, you know, help to do things that kind of thing wow that's the average so it was uh we have one three and a half year old and then you you give birth to him right before the spinal cord tumor and then period of recovery being home and then got pregnant again yeah so we kind of thought this podcast would be unique because on top of all those subsets that taylor mentioned we have this unique situation where I had one pregnancy that was non-disabled, I guess, and then one pregnancy where I was. So I kind of can compare the two experiences. Uh Um, So we thought we'd talk about that. But yeah, you know, first, just the story of baby number two, um, when, as Taylor mentioned, you know, I was just three weeks postpartum when I became disabled um, in 2019 with our, our first son. And at that time in my hospitalization, I just remember asking doctors, are you sure I can have another child? Like, this seems crazy. Is it even possible to have a baby? And the doctor said, 
yes, of course you're going to. <laughs> I had this really confident neurosurgeon and I just remember him saying with all confidence that I would have another child and that being like totally unbelievable. Um, so if you're out there thinking that uh, people with spinal cord injuries or other disabilities can't have children, that's not true. You, yep. Your reproductive system is not impacted by your spinal cord. I remember in the rehab hospital them telling us like, Hey, just because you have a spinal cord injury doesn't mean you can't get pregnant. There's this one young woman in our hospital who had like complete quadriplegia. She and her boyfriend had sex. She got pregnant. Just they done a parent alert if people are listening in the car. Oh, Taylor. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so but it's just yeah, it's like the no matter what happens to spinal cord, it's like the, the reproductive system just marches on. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So, um. So that was kind of the first thought of like, oh, well, this is very far off, but, you know, hopefully one day we can have another child. Um, but hard to imagine at that point in, uh, you know, the, the injury and being in the hospital. Right. So fast forward through recovery. Um, I'm maybe a year out, year and a half out. Yeah, I guess a year and a half out. And I had some other medical things going on that I thought like, I just, it doesn't feel likely that I would be able to conceive um, if we were to try to have another child. And then, um, this is another long story, but I'll give the Reader's Digest. During 40 days of prayer, um, God just kind of spoke to me and asked me to pray that I would have another hmm. child. And it felt pretty confident at the end of that 40 days of prayer um, that God was going to give us another child. So... Was this like an audible voice, uh, a sense, a presence? Uh, um, it tell was, us more about <laughs> yeah, God speaking to you. The, right, because it, it was kind of a weird thing. So in the 40 days of prayer, I was praying for just healing, that I would uh -huh. walk again. The prayers, we and thousands of others had been praying for me, that I would be um, walking and mobile and all of right. that. And then God just, I just felt a sense. I was writing down my prayers, and uh, okay. I felt a sense to write down that I would have a long life and that we'd be able to have another child. And those were not things that were in my head and they felt to me very daunting to hope for. Yeah, like stretch goals. Like I, I'm i afraid to hope for this because uh, if these two things don't yeah, happen, yeah, 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 that yeah. will be very disappointing. <laughs> That's such a thing in life. Yeah. Especially faith. Like, oh, it's too good to be true. So I'm just not going to even like think about it. Or hope, hope for it, pray for it, ask for it. The thought of just those hopes being dashed is just yes. kind of too much to bear. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, we put up the, the shields, mm. the force fields. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So through the end of the forty days, kept praying for that, and then um, I had what I thought was a pretty clear sign at the end of the forty days um, mm. that God gave me, and then. Yeah, so then fast forward, Hudson's, the summer Hudson turns two years old. We had a great summer. We went on some vacations, which, you know, we hadn't, we're beach people. We got to go to the beach a yeah. couple times. Not just any beach, a New Jersey beach. <laughs> New Jersey beach and the Outer Banks. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we really, my recovery was really taking off. I walked a mile on the treadmill. Um, and mm -hmm. so we were just in a really good place and with kind of the confidence that God was with us, um, we decided to try to have a baby conceived quickly and 
boom, it was happening. <laughs> it was happening. And then it was, oh gosh, like it's, it's kind of scary, right? With, uh, you know, fears like last time you're pregnant, even though like all the mountains of evidence, right? There was no link between the tumor and the pregnancy. Just it's kind of like, I don't know, muscle memory sort of. Like, oh, okay, what's going to happen this time? And then like, are there going to be additional complications? You did a ton of work asking other moms who disabled moms. disabled moms like for good medical advice you saw like four different doctors that and well right? backing up i forgot that we also had this underlying fear that you know i was disabled by this tumor yes that we discovered yes all the symptoms came on while i was pregnant and we discovered after i had the baby so we had this fear that was something about the pregnancy hormones and blood flow feeding this tumor and making it grow. Right. And so this fear that getting pregnant again would cause a tumor to regrow right. um, in that space. And, you know, it hasn't been that long. So the doc, my uh, other neurosurgeon told us that they sent the tumor off. I didn't even, we didn't even know this. They sent it off for next generation testing. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> um, but the testing showed that hormones did not impact its growth. Right. So that gave us more confidence. Yeah, that was a very helpful early conversation. Yes. But then you had to find a doctor who could had experience with delivering a disabled Yes. So this was different than babies. last time. Last time I was just kind of run of the mill. You kind of get put through <laughs> I realize now looking back at it the if machine. You're, quote normal and young. Right. Uh, you really do just kind of get put through the machine like my visits were very, very short, very perfunctory, like no additional uh -huh. scans, very limited, like in and out because, you know, I just wasn't right high risk, or at least they didn't know I was. <laughs> um, and so this time was much different, right? Everything was like every single possible test and long visits and whatnot. Um, but I did have to find a doctor. So thankfully we live in a big metro area. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because my it's original, I went back to the doctor I went uh, when we had Hudson and... Who we loved. Yes. Love. But it's a practice of like five or six doctors and very busy. And they referred me to the, the new guy. And my one of my first visits, it was very clear that he was terrified of <laughs> treating me, mm. of touching me, of just did not know what to do with a disabled pregnant woman. So I came in with my walker because I'm, you know, partially ambulatory and he just could not comprehend like how to do different tests on me and things like that. And wow. it was really frustrating. I kept telling him like, I can do things. You just like basically treat me normal <laughs> um and he just couldn't do it and it was a really bad experience um so then like taylor said i dove deep and contacted lots of wonderful disabled mom friends that i had met on instagram that mm. i still haven't met many of them in person but um had great they answered my deeply personal questions and whatnot over the internet and hmm. um one in particular helped me find a doctor that you know we did have to travel 45 minutes to an hour to go see for every visit, which is a pain, but pretty much like one of the only OBs yeah. in this area that has deep experience helping women of different disabilities right. have babies. Yeah. I know she was just had such a depth of experience. Like, like, you know, your early experience with this other doctor and even the more experienced doctor in that practice is like, oh, I think I've 
like done this twice, like two deliveries of what paraplegic out of like his five thousand deliveries right. in his life. And this kind of goes again to like the rarity of you know uh, being a disabled mm-hmm. spinal cord injured disabled mother. Right. Uh, the doctor not knowing what to do. Okay, so yeah, we we found this great doctor who took great care of you, saw you regularly, like spent a bunch of time with you, had a yes. great bedside manner. We just felt very, very confident. Never rushed through the visits. Every question I could ask anything, yep. which is just such a different experience from last time. Baby um, was healthy. Um, yeah, thankfully, baby was healthy. And um, each each uh, kind of... I don't know. We we would find these different complications to worry about that might interact yeah. with each other. So people with spinal cord injuries um, have something, can have something called autonomic dysreflexia, AD. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's basically <laughs> like your spinal cord can't send, when, when you, an able-bodied person are in pain, your spinal cord sends a signal to your body that says, you stubbed your toe, take care of it. There's pain. These pain signals are good. Mm -hmm. There's like pain signals in your body serve a purpose. So when you can't feel the pain because your spinal cord can't send that signal, then sometimes then your body reacts because it had something that, you know, your toe is bleeding or whatnot. Your toe is Even if you don't feel the pain. Even if you don't Ah. feel it. But your still, body goes through their emotions. Your body's being injured, it, but you don't it, have pain it. to tell you it is. Uh-huh. And so instead of having a normal reaction, calming down, taking care of your broken toe, stub toe, whatever, mm-hmm. you um, your blood pressure just goes up and up and up, and people with spinal cord injuries can't regulate it, and sometimes that can go so high, you can have like a stroke. Wow. It's so bad. And for those of you out there who have given birth, you know that's bad news. Delivery, because <laughs> there's a lot of pain involved, and it's bad for the baby's health and for the mother's health. Right. So if, yeah, if you're delivering in a lot of pain but you can't tell that could happen to you so we didn't know whether I would have that reaction or not not everyone has that reaction mm-hmm. um so it was just kind of this mysterious maybe I will maybe I won't have that right reaction. and that was like you know one of uh, a few just big question marks fears and I think heading into delivery for both of us maybe somewhat differently but I think common fears just to going back to the hospital like our last time in the hospitals really sucked we were there for what three and a half months yeah total different places i was you know sleeping many many nights in hospitals you were stuck in this bed uh so coming back to a pretty traumatic place like even the smells and the sights brought back can you say even the sound of the the curtain going yeah those curtains opening you know protect (laughs) privacy from the door the yeah oh man yeah, so we, we were praying about that, and just we were praying for a redemptive hospital experience. Mm-hmm. So, came time to give birth, and Rachel just uh, it was. Well, I think we should tell the funny story. So, we which one? <laughs> Taylor's driving us to the hospital. We induced oh, yeah. so that we could kind of control. Yes, the birth. Everything was already and, planned. Yeah, so you know, just in case I didn't feel anything, there wouldn't be an accidental home birth. <laughs> <laughs> Please no. So yeah, Taylor was not about to deliver a baby. So Taylor drives us, like I said, it's like 45 minutes to an hour to the hospital and we get off the highway and like a a lot of pregnant people, it's like, oh no, I've got to go pee. (laughs) We are nowhere near the hospital. Downtown DC. Downtown DC. (laughs) Thought where would have easy parking. (laughs) 
in the city and it be accessible because <laughs> we have to think through accessibility for everything right uh and the the willard hotel just parked there <laughs> through the guy at, 20 bucks yeah yelled at the veil guy we'll be right back and wheeled rachel in to the bathroom came back out yeah and uh went on to the hospital anyway that's our funny funny delivery story so um yeah we're on that drive after after the pit stop at the Willard, my anxiety is building. I don't know. Were you feeling anxious on that drive? Probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, just yeah, very anxious. You know, leading up to the whole whole time, and yeah, yeah, yeah on that drive and arriving, and like what's gonna happen, and we're back in the hospital. It yeah. felt familiar, but not in a good way. <laughs> right there, we didn't have great uh, expectations of hospitals. So no, true, right. Um, but then kind of midway, I felt like the peaceful presence of God reminding me of this book and podcast, um, that I had listened to. The book was called, what if it's wonderful, kind of about this catastrophic thinking and whatnot. And, um, and so I kind of just changed from what if I have a autonomic dysreflexic reaction? What if I, you know, something goes terribly wrong in the birth? What if I can't push? What if, what if, what if the baby this, mm. what if that, all the, mm -hmm. the scary what ifs to what if it's wonderful? Yeah. And that kind of just totally shifted everything. Wow. I was on the drive. That was on the drive yeah. and just prayed like, God, what if it's wonderful? And then we get there Everything's really leisurely because it's an induction. They said, go have lunch. Come on back <laughs> when you're ready. We should have ready to go. We're here at 11. Yeah, Let's we're, go. We're ready to have a baby. And they're like, eh, go get lunch. Go get lunch. <laughs> what? <laughs> so yeah, I got lunch, then came back, got settled. Um, one of the scariest things for me was getting an epidural, yes. which I needed to get to protect against uh, this autonomic dysreflexic right. reaction that I mentioned. So I had to get an epidural, or it didn't have to, but strongly should get one right because um, the whole time it's it's weighing risks right this risk versus this one you know pick a pick a path yes if you've gone through anything medical in your life you know that there's no easy answer typically it's weighing different yep. risks yep. uh so we get settled in and the scariest thing for me was getting an epidural obviously things around my spine really freaked mm -hmm. me out i didn't know you know i've had a tumor i've had my spine cut open how is this epidural going to interact with all of yep. that and then um layered on that the anesthesiologist tells me well the biggest risk is because you don't have a lot of feeling in your legs if something goes wrong we won't know it in time because you can't give us that feedback mm. so it was this fear of oh wow. there, there's a risk that after i have this baby all of this work that i've put in for the last three years of relearning to walk is going to get wiped away <sighs> So that was terrifying. <laughs> and we'd met people in the hospitals who were paralyzed from infections or botched epidurals. Yes. I'd heard stories about these botched epidurals from yeah people yeah. in the hospital. Uh, and So it's just like this multi-layered cake of... So, so much anxiety. That was honestly just the scariest part. I was kind of crying. My last epidural yeah. with my first child did not go no. well. And so... I was like crying as they're setting up to put it, put it in. They I didn't the let room. Taylor in the room. Um, and But then it took like two minutes. My last epidural took an hour. So I was like shocked. <laughs> it took two minutes. And like, they're like, oh, you're all done? right, we're done. I, and I said, no way, you're done. I can't, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Um, and then it only took 
effect on one side of my body. So right. we were worried about that, not kicking in for my both legs. And, sort of and, did. and then, yeah, the, another anesthesiologist came in and helped me. And then eventually it did affect both yep. sides. And then we napped, relaxed, didn't feel really any pain, anything, but my contractions were going. Yep. And then you just sat up in bed and gave birth to well no at midnight you were still sleeping oh right yeah and i said taylor i think i'm feeling something and you're still kind of asleep (laughs) so i called the call button and told the doctor like i think i'm feeling something (laughs) and then taylor's rousing himself out of bed and i the doctor said yeah she checked me and said yeah you're feeling something because that baby is like he's ready to go he's out (laughs) he's coming out yep (laughs) so So then you sat up in bed and just like zoop Yep, sat up in bed. Ten minutes, chit-chatted with the nurses while you were pushing. It was a teaching hospital, so all these residents were in there watching. Right. And my wonderful, sweet doctor had the best bedside manner. Just was like, yeah, you don't have to, you know, I want you to be comfortable. Get in a position that's comfortable. Whatever. And I thought, like, this isn't supposed to be comfortable, right? <laughs> but no, she just said, get comfortable. And yeah, push a couple times. Pause to tell the story of... <laughs> Our son's name, why we chose it, and mm-hmm. out came the baby, baby. and it was just this wonderful every single thing we prayed for. Yep, redemptive. It, it was this redemptive experience. Yep. So now, yeah, and then you, we were out of there within the next twenty-four hours. Two nights in the hospital, yeah, and then we well, were counting in, even the birth night. Yeah, and then one more night, and then we were out of there. I think they were running out of room and. Rachel was so healthy. Our baby was so healthy. Got to come home a little earlier than we thought. Oh, and three hours after I had the baby, they had me stand up and try to walk to go walk into the bathroom. And I walked. (laughs) So it was like, hey, this epidural didn't mess me up. Like what? I don't even think I walked three hours after my first birth. (laughs) So this was like crazy. You were, yeah, in many ways in like better condition this time post-birth and you were last time last time we didn't know what was going on and your walking was really wobbly Mm -hmm. didn't had no like mobility devices yeah mindset for mobility just didn't know so this time it was a lot and then we came home and uh but yeah we're truly that wasn't a direct answer to prayer we did not know the answer on the front end would it be a redemptive hospital experience and on the back end to me the the confirmation was when we went back for a checkup Mm -hmm. and the smells had a like a happy memory to them. Mm, that's great. With, you know, baby being born. And so it was like a, like the colors changed. Yes. Yes, way. totally. And then coming home with baby, uh, having brother. two kids. <laughs> I mean, you had like all the mobility accessibility stuff set up at home. We had the crib, accessible crib. Yes, yeah, so that was a good thing that we had already had all this kind of accessible baby training from when I was yeah, in the hospital. Right, right. Occupational therapy trained me, us, how to um, parent from a wheelchair. So I already kind of had that under my belt. Yeah. So I guess what's like maybe the a sum up or final thing you'd want to say on this on this topic? Yeah, I think just, you know, myth busting that people with disabilities can get pregnant, can have normal healthy pregnancies like none of my you know i saw a high-risk doctor but ended up none of the high-risk things came to be that was just Mm. a precaution like Mm -hmm. it could have been a completely quote normal birth um and that you know ultimately people with disabilities can be 
good parents, or are good parents. Yeah. <laughs> Not can be, are good parents. Yeah. And I should say, too, like another new development with putting a crane in the back of your car that has adaptive driving control so you can load up your new lighter power wheelchair. You've yes. taken both boys out solo. That's right. A few times. A baby and a three-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Took them to the park by myself um, on outings. Yep. And this is, you know, just being couple months postpartum i think two months postpartum i took them both out wow um so it is i mean one god just answered so many prayers and this is beyond anything i could imagine in my hospital bed three years ago so i'd say anyone in the thick of the darkness know that the the sun will rise on the other side Mm -hmm. and then two just yeah understanding that people in wheelchairs people with disabilities can do all these quote normal things yep they can be they can and are excellent parents what about being the spouse of somebody with a disability like how spouse Mm co-parenting what what is that like for you now with two kids uh i probably get tapped a little more for like i don't know the quick things like oh like gus vomited all over you and you're on the couch like it's quicker for me if i'm there to like run and get the thing yeah the rag like i can't hop up quickly and grab right something. and there's a lot of hopping up with parenting <laughs> it's like that's that's one thing but you hop up a lot too and just prepare like one th- one way to mitigate this prepare right? right so when you sit down on the couch you bring the burp rag you bring the bottle you bring the water for you you bring the, the yes. book you want to read or the, your phone's there or whatever uh it's like that's one way to mitigate and then uh other being especially like loading up mm-hmm. like if we take a trip i'm usually doing the loading yeah uh there's just a different dynamic you know people talk about i don't know i guess i can just say this <laughs> like people talk about oh it's, it's tough to get out of the house it's like well you have two parents <laughs> to help load the car <laughs> right and less equipment <laughs> and less equipment right right because right, we have you know the the two car seats then we'll need to think through like where we're going like which wheelchair to bring right is it an off-road wheelchair is it my power wheelchair is it my manual wheelchair? and then are you going to carry Gus in the chest carrier do we bring the stroller too <laughs> right so sometimes we'll have a stroller and a wheelchair in the back and then how will Hudson get around will he be able to walk or should he ride with you and then if we have no clue we can't find on Google what the accessibility situation is do we also need to bring my crutches or my walker in case I need to like crutch in somewhere yeah <laughs> it's a uh, it's a whole whole thing but it's fun I feel like you you do so many normal things anyway it's not like an undue burden like maybe loading the car i'm doing more than yeah the heavy lifting the average dad or even mom i don't know and we've gotten gotten used to the new normal and yeah totally but yeah if you know you see us out and about give taylor a high five (laughs) (laughs) all the loading and unloading (laughs) and rachel a high five too yeah high fives all around Yes, but you know, all in all, I'd say it has been better, easier, more healthy than we could have imagined. Yep, huge answers of prayer. Honestly, I don't. I mean, I don't feel like it was that different from my first pregnancy. In fact, ah. I went to the gym more <laughs> during this pregnancy. <laughs> I had more on the line, right? I was like, I've got to stay healthy. I've got to stay healthy. So that really motivated me to go to the gym. Um, you know, every week until I just really couldn't the last month. Um, and I was not doing that during my first pregnancy. And yep. it made me like watch my weight closer because, you know, being 
10 pounds heavier makes a big difference in your right. mobility and whatnot, which right. I didn't think about the first time. I actually gained 10 fewer pounds this time around. And so there are just things about my health that I just had to be on really on top of and care about more. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty similar experience. Mm-hmm. Delivery was easier. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I would agree with it all. You're a great mom. <laughs> You're a great dad. Well, we um, should transition. Okay. Stinkers and thinkers are still Stinkers a part of the show. And thinkers, we're back. We did a lot of media consumption during our <laughs> maternity paternity leave. Because turns out when you're sitting around feeding babies and getting up early, TV. Watch a lot of TV. Listen to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah, true. A lot of yep, yep, yep. Taylor, what was your stinker? My stinker. I love the show Reservation Dogs on uh, Hulu. We've talked about that before, I think. Yeah, we probably have about uh, teenagers on a Indian reservation in, I think, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And Taika Waititi is a producer, executive producer of it. But anyway, there was this one episode, episode nine of season <laughs> two, I think, that we just turned off. It was just it's so... Not like a accidental mushroom trip yeah yeah one of the characters like a side character who's um, like we love uh we love all the characters in the show it's it's wonderful but this episode just we just couldn't even finish it it was too wacky he had taken like accidental mushrooms he'd taken mushrooms accidentally psychedelic mushrooms and it was just it wasn't funny it wasn't interesting it was just total stinker dud of an episode (laughs) we really need to put a parental warning on this episode we're talking about drugs oh Uh, not all eat the mushrooms your parents tell you to eat <laughs> and don't, don't just eat any mushroom. Be fine. Many are poisonous. Okay. Anyway. Wow, rabbit trail. Um, okay. So what was he- <laughs> <laughs> trying to redeem it for the children in the car? Eat portobello mushrooms <laughs> and only portobello mushrooms. All right. What was your, what was your thinker? Unless you're an adult and my thinker. You don't want to do your stinker? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, we're we're approaching our firm mid-30s here. And so our social <laughs> lives are now book clubs. Taylor. Well, I'm, I'm only in, in one. I'm in two book clubs okay. now. <laughs> and I've got one at work. I don't know if you count that though. Oh yeah, that counts. Okay, so two. So we're both in two book clubs. Um, I'm sorry to my fellow book club members, but I think they know that our recent book the widows of malabar hill it was a stinker it was i really like you know like murder mystery thrillers and this was set in india and i love indian culture period drama and it's a period drama it was from the 20s it was like should have been all of my favorite things i was very excited it checked all these favorite boxes and it was not good the writing was really bad it was like the ending the killer just like it was one of those instead of cleverly finding the you know detective finding out what happened the killer just like was trapped in a corridor and thought and confessed everything like how everything happened it's astounding not creative. Not in this in this day and age yes it was so bad i was like this is not happening trope. yes so bad so that's my stinker what a bummer i wonder like what the author would say we should have her on as a guest. I was running out of energy, so I just had her confess. Yeah. It's like in The Incredibles. Like they started monologuing. <laughs> yeah. When the villain monologues. 
Uh, my thinker is Rings of Power. Oh, yeah. We need to watch the season finale, which is, I think, was released last night, <gasps> today. So we'll watch that tonight. Uh, but I'm assuming it'll be great because the show's been great. All There's so many haters out there. They're haters? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Why? Yeah. Uh, I... Th- I think it's just cool to hate it. Like, it kind of entered... So, you know, Lord of the Rings, obviously, like, people care about it. People know about it. ton of, like, hardcore feelings about Lord of the Rings. So people had known the show is coming. So there's just kind of, like, I think there's this momentum building of, like, of course it's going to be terrible because there's no way it can be good, blah, blah, blah. So I think that momentum and then the show's released. So I think people came into it with that. And a lot of the hardcore Lord of the Rings book fans refused to watch it or some watched it and said like immediately dismissed it some people watched it and like who weren't lord of the rings fans said it was boring i have read the trilogy three times the way through i think the hobbit twice similar similarly in once humble brag yes so like, i would consider myself like a decent lord of the rings fan uh i'm not like a, a lore master by any means there are people out there who can recite <laughs> speaking you know. elvish yeah basically but I think it's like very respectfully done, tastefully done. The like story is great. Uh, I think it fits really well with like the other films. Uh, yeah, I've just been really impressed. And don't believe the haters. Go watch it. You'll enjoy it. Even you like it. I did not like the movies. And I think I've only made it halfway through The Hobbit. Sorry, super fans. Um, Early in our marriage, I think I read aloud. And in the, the hospital first book. you did. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, we've that's fizzled yeah we've made it to two towers <laughs> i don't think <laughs> maybe when the boys are older yeah. um but i have really enjoyed it like i find myself looking forward to it like not scrolling on my phone when it's on wow. like really watching it and i think it just has good themes about evil and goodness dark and light and feels very spiritual yeah and people are upset about uh they say like the dialogue is bad i don't know and then people are upset that there are uh, brown and black skin dwarves what? and elves. What is wrong with people? And hobbits. Yeah, I don't I don't get that either. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think there's anything saying they're not, like, they're all white yeah, in the books. Yeah, So, let's, you know, some creative license. And I think it's so true to everything else in my, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think so far it just seems so, like, true and in intentionally good and everything else like okay we can we should allow a little creative license go watch it it's not game of thrones (laughs) yes debauchery (laughs) that's true that too um okay my thinker thinker. is our other book club this book the other members of our book club actually did not think it was well written i didn't think it was that bad (laughs) but the themes were so good it's the book art and faith by makoto fujimara yes did i pronounce that right makato makato fujimara So he's a famous artist, a Christian, and talks about art and faith and wrote a book called Culture Care. Uh-huh. Um, written a few. Yeah. Written a few books. This is his newest one. And the title did not do it justice. It's not really about art and faith. I think it's about um, kind of redemption of suffering and this whole theology of suffering. Um, and it just really illuminated to me kind of um Hmm. a non-corny really biblical way of seeing 
the meaning in suffering, not that we can make meaning out of all suffering and there's a silver lining that's not what he says or what I say, um, but you have to read it to see kind of yeah. what uh, what he gets into, but essentially um, just how broken things are made beautiful, both in uh, different forms of art and then in the kingdom of God. So that um, mm-hmm. part of our salvation is that we are becoming new creations, but um, in that, in the new new creation, mm-hmm. uh, that we are, are suffering and everything is made beautiful. Um, it's not purposeless. Mm. And anyway, he says it much better and more drawn out than I am. So read the book. It's <laughs> very good. I think it's um, a little more drawn out cause it's like 200 pages. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good summary. I think there's like the added bonus theme of like, uh, what counter narrative or another way of looking at the mainstream culture war, Christian culture war. Yes. Thesis. Yes. Which we're really into and probably we'll yes. do a whole episode on. Yes. <laughs> so stay tuned. Radically optimistic. Season two. We're back. What's going to happen? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for being back with us. And we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>